Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Passing Places, my personal podcast about my travels around Scotland, mainly by motorhome but also by motorcycle and with some hill walking thrown in for good measure. Thank you for taking the time to drop in for a listen and sadly for some of you, you will have realised that I've found my jingles. I've got my pipe music back again and until I find something better... I'll persevere with the pipe music. Now, this week's episode is a bit of an experiment. It's primarily about my weekend in Crail, but also I met up with my sister and brother-in-law who'd just taken charge of their new 16-year-old second-hand motorhome. And we were really keen to meet up and have a good look round and have a weekend together to see how the, the van performed. So I managed to twist her arm and there is a, an interview, a conversation over a, a bottle of wine which covers their own experience, the pitfalls, the choices, the pros and cons of buying a second-hand motorhome or camper van. So I scratched my head when I edited the audio and thought it's still probably over an hour long. But I thought, well, let's try it. Let's see what a longer episode is like and get back to me. Give me some feedback and let me know if it's far too long. You might want to pause the episode and dip in and out or even fast forward sections of it. But uh, it's primarily, as I say, about Crail and about buying your first motorhome. Now, before we dive into that, I'd like to have a a little quick um, few minutes of shout outs to people that have been in touch with the podcast over the last week. I'll let you hear quickly. Um, I mentioned a chap last week who on Twitter, his handle is at CT, which is C-E-T-E-E. And he's left me a voicemail. His name's Campbell Troop. It's nice to hear somebody's voice after uh, chatting with them through tweets. Hi Kevin, it's Campbell here, aka CT of Twitter. Just uh, thought I'd uh, leave a voicemail to say I really enjoyed listening to your latest podcast from Strass Bay last night. It took me back a long time. I used to spend many happy um, October holidays up in the uh, Speyside area. A friend was um, a friend of my, my father's was a um, original director of uh, the Abbey Moore Centre. And um, we used to go up and visit him uh, at least every October and stayed in Brandon upon Spey uh, or indeed at a, a neighbour's cottage in Neffy Bridge. So all these names brought back many happy memories. I um, also enjoyed the piece on uh, Strasbourg Steam Railway. Um, it is obviously um, been there a while. It was early days when, when I first there, went there um, as a young lad. Um, since then, I said, developed my interest in uh, steam trains and vintage railways, and for many years was a volunteer at the Boyness and Canal Railway, um, close at home. Uh, unfortunately, young family have uh, taken over my spare time, but maybe one day I'll get back to that. Um, anyway, just thought I'd say hi and uh, and look forward to your next uh, uh, podcast. Uh, my my next fix, I suppose. Bye.
So thanks, Campbell. It's great to hear your voice and the fact that you're enjoying the podcast and you're keeping in touch. Uh, you can drop me another voicemail anytime you like. I'm really pleased. I mentioned in last week's episode that I hadn't had any voicemail, so it's great to, to get a voicemail. It's fantastic when you get some feedback. It really does make a big difference. In that vein, I'd like to thank a few other people on Facebook. Richard Hurst has joined the Passing Places podcast group and he left me a nice uh, comment that in fact he was enjoying the he was enjoying the podcast and he mentioned the benefits the enjoyment of Dumfries and Galloway which is one of my favorite places and I do spend a fair bit of time down there so it's only a matter of time before I podcast from Dumfries and Galloway and we both had a chat about the situation in relation to motorhomes and holidaying in Bavaria and Germany. So keep in touch, Richard. And again, thank you very much for taking the time to get in touch and leaving a comment. If you remember, I was in Boat of Garten last week and whilst I was there, I tweeted a few times and on Twitter, at Boat of Garten, which is the community, I believe the community website for the village, they obviously do searches for Boat of Garten because each time I tweeted at Boat of Garten would send me some form of comment or reply. So I thought that was really clever use of Twitter. And I tweeted to them when I got back that the episode was online and it was mainly about Boat of Garten. So they kindly retweeted that tweet and said that they enjoyed the podcast. So if you're interested at all in the Boat of Garten area, Get onto the Boat of Garten website, the link is on the show notes for episode 9, or jump onto Twitter and look up at Boat of Garten. And finally, before we get into the content of this week's episode, I just wanted to mention iTunes. Uh, iTunes accounts for something like 80 or 85% of all podcasts. People download them through their iPhones, and yet my stats for passing places is the reverse. I think about 15% of my download traffic comes from iTunes. It's been driven primarily from my website, from people searching in Google, from uh, other podcast directories and from my involvement with Facebook and Twitter. So if you've downloaded or listened to an episode on my website then that's fantastic. But if you do have a an iPhone or an iPad or you use iTunes on your computer, you can subscribe to the podcast and every episode will be automatically made available to you on your phone, which is a, a good way to follow the podcast. And you can also very quickly download all the previous episodes. If you've got an um, Android phone, you can also download any one of a number of podcasting apps and just do a quick search for Passing Places. And likewise, you can subscribe. It's uh, an easier way to consume the podcast. And it's just interesting that my stats are primarily based on people taking the podcast from the website itself. So to quickly finish off this little section, because it's a, as I say, it's a very long episode, is iTunes reviews. I have seven iTunes reviews, which has made a big difference to my rating on iTunes. And I just wanted to recognise the fact that a number of people had left reviews. I'd like to thank, uh, I don't know how you pronounce this, is it 
Brangelina, B-R-A-N-G-E-L-I-N-A. -E I'd like to thank Dominic Scullion, who happens to be my nephew, but he's such a popular man on Facebook and Twitter. I'm amazed he had the time to actually jump onto iTunes and leave me a nice review, so thanks, Dom. To, uh, let's pronounce this, Dal, Dalarto, D-H-A-L-A-R-T-L, who left a very good review for me. And finally, Contiki645, thank you. Thank you all for leaving positive reviews. It really, as I said earlier, it makes a big difference when you get some feedback. So thanks, everybody, for your continued interest and for listening to the podcast. And let's jump into this recording, which was made in the van on Saturday night last weekend. All I'll say about Crail at this point, because everything that you probably need to know about our weekend is, is within this uh, conversation you're just about to hear but on the Saturday evening after a, a lovely sunny day the the weather turned quite dramatically and it was very very windy and the rain started so whether it's the waves the rain or the wind there's plenty of noise in the background probably just like this final part of the recording today I've delayed doing the podcast because I was trying to avoid the wind noise because it's blowing a gale here uh, just outside my flat. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get straight into the episode that I recorded in the van on last Saturday evening. And one final health warning is that I'm a, a newbie to the whole motorhome experience and Katie and Dermot have only just picked up their van. So uh, if you just acknowledge the fact that the three of us were game for a laugh, we were keen to have a conversation. So if you have knowledge of motorhomes, camper vans, buying and selling, experience of caravans, please get uh, get in touch and shoot us down in flames because we just had a, a great chin wag in the van and we recognise that it's just our own personal opinions. We might sound as if we know what we're talking about, but in honest in honesty we were just having a really good conversation. So I'll let you hear the interview now and as I say it does go on for quite some time so uh, feel free to fast forward or pause and I'll say a quick goodbye at the end. Well, why don't we start with Crail, the fact that when you were talking to me during the week about getting the van and I said well we'll try and meet up at the weekend but it's I've never been on this site before, but it's worked out pretty, Perfect. pretty good so far. Perfect yeah. site. Ma so it's it's within within travelling distance of home, so we weren't too far away if anything went wrong with the van the first time we had it out. But because of the the location and because of the view and everything, you think that you're somewhere very far north. But the thing I liked about it today was the walk into Creole was excellent. It was really scenic and I was thinking on you because it had lots and lots of benches they were all dedicated <laughs> to different people but it had I mean more benches than people you could have sat down every couple of yards uh, it was almost like a like some kind of park and there was a play park for children in the middle of it um, and you could go all the way down to the water and there were some rock pools and some bits and bobs it was really good and what we did we came off it early you could keep walking obviously it's a coastal path you go all the way around to the harbour but we came up through the houses and into the town and I was just really impressed by the amenities the town had. So, you know, at two small shops, one a 
small co-op supermarket but I had a pharmacy, it had the bakers, it had a fruit shop and most high streets don't have that so to have it somewhere like this within walking distance was fantastic at the fish and chip shop. What a nice um, walk too. It was a great walk, mm -hmm. really good. I think you're spoiled with the pitches though to I think of all the campsites I've been on which isn't that many but you're often just in a grassed area with other fans but you've got a fantastic the fan sea for me, view there. <coughs> for me was 10 yards from the sea and being able to hear it when you're going to sleep which is exactly what we did last night. Mm -hmm. Going to sleep listening to the sea, the, the tide going out and coming back in this morning which is really impressive. There's a cracking wee site, there's 25 sites for tourers, pretty quiet, good facilities, it's nice and neat and tidy. A big bonus is the weather today as well, it's been far it was lovely. Yeah. yeah, to be able to sit out in the sunshine, um, albeit when the sun went behind the cloud, it was a bit parky, but no, it was really lovely. And I reckon when I said there's a, a seal and then I said there's a couple of dolphins that you didn't believe me. Yeah. Until yeah. we saw I them. I don't believe seagull. most things you say, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, he's razor sharp 2020 vision. If he said there's a van coming towards us, I, I wouldn't look out. It's like the time at Christmas and the bad snow and Kevin was up north and was sending me pictures going, I'm really worried about this. I'm staying in a stranger's mm. house and I've just seen footsteps in the garden and I think there's somebody in the shed. And I was saying, whatever you do, don't go in the shed. And I, I don't know why, obviously, when I found out that you'd gone to the bother of going out and making all the footprints yourself and winding me up. I don't know why I didn't think in that, because I've known you a long time and I should have thought, actually, I think he's kidding on. But I bought into the fear very early on. And when I realised you were kidding me on, I thought, I can't believe I fell for that, but it was very funny. And so, yeah, today when you said, look at the dolphins, um, yeah, dolphins aren't something I'd associate with the east coast of Scotland, so I did think you were... You were joking I until I saw I them for myself. When he said there's dolphins, I like, yeah, 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 mm. whatever. But then when I did see them, there were so many of them. I know. And to see them jump that high, I was astounded. Really astounded. I wonder how many there were, because they only come up in threes and fours or whatever. But so, maybe like about seven of, or eight of them, something like that. I was like more ten, fifteen. Yeah, yeah, in second school, I, I would have said it was between ten and fifteen, because it was four and five coming up at once, every few seconds. So guessing that they need to come up every, I don't know, what, fifteen, twenty seconds at all. I think the ones at the back of second yep. school were probably older as opposed to the primary school. I was yeah, yeah. it was going to be a school joke. Yeah. I was trying to work <laughs> out it working up to, you could see the jokes coming. I was actually <laughs> trying to get to the joke first, I just couldn't yeah. think on it quickly all, enough. All three of us were trying to get there. <laughs> I was thinking they? that was the old school. <clears throat> it was Kevin. the secondary school that were coming at the back. Yeah, Kevin secondary wanted, yeah. school. It will be funny if they're not called the school of dolphins at all and we sound like complete idiots, you know. It's a herd of dolphins. A pod of dolphins. A flock. A team. <coughs> this podcast you sound like people who've drunk wine the, the funny thing though was then when you said come on out and see this kestrel and I thought yeah he's having us on now and I saw it for a second and then the four of us all standing in a row staring at it and the poor woman walking towards us saying no. why are you all looking why at me was... <laughs> and the thing is she just came back to the toilet I'm sure she thought she'd tucked her knickers in her skirt or something. <laughs> and Kevin saying to her we've just never seen a pink fleece before <laughs> <laughs> that was funny <laughs> But no, it's a really, really lovely site. I can't believe for the first time no. out you've picked something so so good. And it'll be like everything else. You know that way when you decide to go out for a walk, you end up in West Lomond. It'll be, one will go out in the van, where will we go? One will go to Crail. It'll just end up that we yeah, only I drive know, to Crail. <laughs> we drive 36 miles to Crail every weekend. The thing is, it's difficult to believe. Crail, I said this to Kate when we are walking along today, it looks like Cornwall. You know, mm -hmm. all the houses are different, but all of the same vintage, but all that kind of white painted fishermen's cottages and yeah, we wind the streets down to harbour. It's It looks like what I would imagine Cornwall to be like without the hordes of tourists and motorhomes and 
and, and everything else that I believe goes with Cornwall. Although you are very early in the season and the East Nook of Fife is yeah. um, very big tourists and a lot of those houses will be empty and there will be holiday homes and uh, some of the the small towns in the East Nook suffer from that where they don't have, yeah. you know, they don't have any population in the winter. They've got a local population but so many people have second homes in the East Nook of Fife, it's only in the height of season that it comes alive. I do think it probably gets pretty busy Well, yeah. in the summertime mm-hmm. and there's probably a fair bit of money around and and it's pretty accessible as well, you know, you're, I don't know, an hour and a bit from Edinburgh, you're an hour and a bit from, well, you're less than an hour from Dundee, you're an hour and a bit from the Central Belt, it is fairly accessible. But it's totally unspoiled, you know, Crail itself just looks totally unspoiled. There is a lot of money though, there's a lot of money here in St Andrews and... I don't know if I'm getting really old, but I would, if I was coming back, we were laughing about it earlier, but I would probably phone up and say, is pitch 30 available? Because yep. <laughs> you want to come back and you yes. know what pitch you want. Because it makes that, a difference. Uh, it does, yeah, 30 and 31. Anybody that wants to come here, they're the other yeah. ones you want. You want to be on the on the front row, I suppose, rather than looking into three or four vans. Yeah. Well, the thing is, last night we had nothing in front of us in the water. And today, somebody turned up, um, a man who'd never seen dolphins, and we'd been here ten minutes and saw dolphins. I'm glad it... I mean, it's still windy, you can hear it a little, but I'm glad it calmed down, because it was getting a bit scary. Yeah, the background noise is the gas fire and the wind outside and the waves probably because mm-hmm. we are probably yeah. 20 yeah. yards from the point where the tide came in today waves yeah. are still going but yeah. that's pretty windy it's lovely it's a pity you've got to pack up tomorrow yeah. well sadly some of us are still need to go to work to fund the lifestyle for weekends so we yeah. can be weekend travellers and but all that means is you've got a responsibility from Monday to Friday to find us somewhere to go. Better than Creel. Well, Creel's been On pretty a good. Par with Creel, I don't think you'll get better than this. I'm sure you will. The yeah. thing is, there's lots of places where you've been. Point Sands, where you didn't, I believe, show nine from. Me and Katie had been, Eight. I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And I had been a few times with my dad when I was younger in the caravan. And it's somewhere I'm dying to go, but. It was always three and a half hours away from home when we lived it's too far where away. I grew up and now it turns into a, you know, probably a five hour journey from here which is really pretty substantial. You want a long weekend, you don't really want to be good yep. up there on a Friday evening. No, and, it's, and it is a long, long drive and even though you can anticipate how long it's going to be, if you go and look at the websites about Point Sands and the whole, there's a cracking site at Caradale I believe. All everyone complains about is it just seems a never-ending journey at the bottom of the. It's a long way to Carradale, and the the we were talking about this on the website the other day that the sites I think there's a couple of sites down there, but the Carradale one that the person was mentioning is pretty good. Yeah. But you you get those fantastic views of Arden, but you don't get the sunsets because you're on the wrong side of the. Kyle. Yeah, the wrong side of the Kyle. Right. Yes. Yeah. The Kyle. Mullican Tire. You're on the wrong side of the mull if you're yeah. on the. East side. Maybe you'd like to explain to the listeners the difference between a mull and a kyle, Kevin. Well, I was probably going to ask you that very question, Dan, <coughs> given that you're the Wikipedia of... Um, if I probably hadn't the last glass of wine, I would have made something up really quickly. Does that sound quite convincing? Like kyle is like an estuary or a mouth of a river. He guesses. And the mull is a peninsula. peninsula. Somebody's frantically looking up Wikipedia. Well, we said that in chorus, so that sounds... Yep. 
almost all convincing. convincing yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if there's any other mounds, so whether it's Unfortunately, we don't have 3G signal, and I would have Googled that and told you the answer. Yep, and sounded as if she had just plucked out of her memory banks. Indeed. I thought Kyle's was a bit... I, I, I don't know, there's definitely something watery about it. Well, you get the Kyle of 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 the knowledge that she has. You'd think from an attitude she was a teenager. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the motorhome purchase. <clears throat> yep. That post that you put on the website the other day. Yeah. Was good in terms of a buyer's beware. Well, guide. people talk a lot about online, you know, and online purchasing, and people are scared to buy things online. And you think when you've got services like eBay or Auto Trader or, or any of the big names that they're safe to do and I've never looked at, you know, eBay classifies or anything like that. I know how eBay works because I have uh, quite a lot of hundreds of feedback on eBay and a lot of coloured stars or whatever it is, so I'm an old hand at eBay but I didn't realise that eBay classifies don't go towards somebody's feedback so you know, you can do anything on eBay classifies and I also didn't realise that you don't purchase through eBay or PayPal through classifies so there's no protection at all. Um so once we started seeing things that looked too good to be true and in the old world if they look too good to be true they genuinely are and then you start to do just basic simple checks and you find out that actually that's where most of the online fraud is and you know but advertising products is, that don't exist is how that works two motorhomes that we looked at you know, the first two that we looked at in eBay were both fraudulent transactions are both and, and actually, looking to scams out of money yeah, one of them was eBay the other one was actually auto trader so they were two separate separate online and places. And similar stories. So the stories that people are telling us that you can't view the, va the van because of some spurious reason, so it's either in a an army base. geographic location yeah. or it's in a secure army base, but we'll drop it off to you once you've transferred the money. So there's a whole story, and, and it's so prevalent that people must be falling for it because it must make money for someone. And I was you know, fairly early on in the process of the first one we were looking at, which was a van that was probably 50% cheaper than it should have been. Pretty early on, it struck me as being a bit odd. But Katie was pretty vocal in terms of, no, this isn't right, this isn't how it works. But they must, and, I, and I'm, not a, I'm not a mug, you know, but it must sucker some people in. Yeah, they wouldn't do it if it didn't. it's plausible. But she sent me, the, the woman, you know, sent me an invoice that came from a an email address that when it appeared on your phone looked like it came from eBay. It was, a, a you know, an eBay invoice with everything on it. And only when you dug into the email address it came from, secured-invoices-ebay.com so obviously someone addressed yep. that domain name so you'd need of that level of scrutiny but patently our mistake is you know transfer mon the, me the money and then you can come and collect the van without having seen it first so most um, how most many times do you need to strike it out to make it worth your while to do it yeah. the woman who, who on ebay who we looked at the van from has subsequently advertised another two so whether she's selling them or whether she's scamming the money and not being caught, I don't know. But the, the kind of annoying thing is that I reported it to eBay now probably nearly 10 days ago and she's still an eBay member and nothing back from eBay to say this had happened. Yeah, when I, I was looking to buy a telescope 
and the chap was selling a telescope and it was a lot cheaper than it should have been. I mean, it was a telescope I wouldn't probably buy anyway, but it was it was expensive. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those too-good-to-be-true stories. Yeah. And it was. Yeah, and when I went on to check on the astronomy forums, I, found, I put the guy's email address into the astronomy forums. Yeah. And it came up when he was a regular oh, fraudster. Really? Mm -hmm. been, he somehow manages to hijack credible eBay accounts. Yeah. Yes. People who, like me, who have used it for 10 years, but very infrequently. Yeah. So they're not going to notice for a few months if somebody else is using their account. Yeah. And they go on and they basically work out every excuse in the book to get you to pay first. And then you've lost your money. That's that's what I saw in this. You know, this lady that was selling these motorhomes was saying she was in Danoon. And I'm sure that, you know, the genuine person in Danoon has no idea that their eBay account's being used. Yeah. No, she's got 215 feet bikes. So yeah, it's you know, someone you could, you could tell. There was also another one in Montrose and you could tell that... You know that when you read what the, that genuine person that what they've bought and what they sell, and it's you know nothing like you yeah. know, the, the item. But there's what I have noticed is the genuine sellers do things like you know to protect them as sellers. They'll say they want a deposit of you know a hundred pounds or two hundred pounds into their PayPal account, you know within forty eight hours or whatever. To take it off the market. Or yeah, yeah, just so you so they know that you're genuinely going to pay for it and, and that makes sense so initially I thought well that's clever if they, if everybody pays them £200 then you know, mm -hmm. they get five people to do that but if it's through PayPal then you're protected if it's through a, a money transfer you're not and worse still if you use something like Western Union or any of these people that um, you can't even trace what bank account it goes into at least no. if you use your own bank you've got an idea of where it went but that was one of the checks we did when they gave us the bank details we just googled the sort code to see where the account was and the person who was saying that they lived in Danoon's account was in Leicester and whilst that could happen it's you know it's yeah. another alarm bell to say that doesn't make sense and but then when we got the address we also you know um, checked Street View for the address and the pictures of the van weren't taken anywhere in that town because it didn't look anything like the pictures we'd seen so yeah. there's just simple things like that but it's like everything else isn't it um, so the van that you've got this week, where did you end up getting that through? You well, got that from Gumtree. It was on Gumtree and it was on eBay as well. Yeah. Um, we happened, we decided first of all what type we wanted once we'd climbed in lots of them. And then we started looking at types that had like a rear, a rear lounge set up. And there were two locally. And we looked at the pictures and we recognised that the pictures were indeed taken locally because we knew where it was. And then we sent a message to the guy and he sent us his contact details and his address straight away and we street viewed his address and the motorhome was in the Google picture sitting on his driveway <laughs> which was interesting, I'm sure that doesn't always happen but that was quite cool um, and we asked could we, we go and see it and we went to the address and it was there and we checked that the V5 was registered at that address um, the other thing we did was um, the eBay account the, the username that he had used and he told me his first name and we googled the first name and this eBay account name together and he, you know, he hadn't moved far away from his genuine name, he didn't come up with some you know, eBay mm, yeah. name that didn't mean anything and it came up that he was actually a local businessman and it showed you his business and so he checked out straight away he was very easy to confirm that he was genuine and he also wanted paid a deposit through um, PayPal and wouldn't accept it in any other way so that at least he was protected yep. and a couple of basic yeah. things is it you know viewing someone at someone's house. Yeah, you've got to see it at their house. Because you know any of this on at a service station means that 
you can't believe the V5, which will have the registered address. Mm. But the second thing is, when we sat down to meet the guy, we gave him 100 quid when, once we'd done the deal, and he sat and wrote out a receipt, not that we asked for it, and then told us he used to be a policeman. So at that point I thought, yeah, this, this, this sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds pretty good. So no, that was good, but it was, it was like everything, once you start looking, and we like that with everything, once you start looking, you... You tend to buy really quickly because you just get the bug. You can't think of anything else. Well, the thing that we've done is, you know, all these 30,000, 40,000 vans, um, we went to Perser's Caravans, which is, I think, Scotland's biggest motorhome dealer. Um, not because we did intention of buying one there, because only guys like Kevin can afford to buy there. But, <laughs> um, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, we went to um, look at all the different setups. So, I don't know if you've described your motorhome, but Kevin's got a kind of a midships dinette with a couch uh, facing it, running across the side of the caravan. We wanted something with a rear lounge, so um, had either U-shaped or a couple of couches at the back of the van. So having a look around the caravan, motorhomes and Persons caravans was perfect. And we found this one, which was five miles up the road, ex-policeman, and it all just kind of fitted quite neatly. So all worked uh, beautifully. Interesting thing as well is the, without talking about the price, but the when you then check the van out for uh, just on Google, yeah, and you end up you find it in dealers forecourts all over the yeah. UK, and it's yeah four or five thousand more. I let yeah. you know, I think dealers markup must be somewhere between twenty and forty percent mm-hmm. easily. I would say. I, I mean, I don't think that the van we have got probably new. You're looking at I don't know, probably the same as yours would have been thirty thirty five grand even at the time. It's really expensive, so they really hold their value well. But the dealer markup is pretty extraordinary. I would say 20-30%. Probably a margin that you don't get in the car trade anymore. I suppose they've got to make their money to... Yeah, yeah. yeah, and from buying from a dealer you also get lots of warranties and yeah. guarantees and things, you know. So just now, you know, some minor niggles with ours that you know, we need to get checked out. We also need to get, you know, a habitation check and all that sort of stuff. You would get all that if you bought it from a dealer. You just get peace of mind, don't you? When I bought my uh, two motorbikes, I said two, I suppose it was three, but I don't, I don't mean that in terms of lots of motorbikes, but Cut out. When I when I bought my motorbike, the the guy who's now moved on was having a conversation that he's really looking for repeat customers, and motorhomes are exactly the same. It's one of these things that you potentially upgrade. Yeah. yeah. So although I bought mine in a dealer's, I sensed I was saying to the guy, "This is an experiment. If it works out, I'll be back." Yeah. yeah. And he was really keen to see this as a new, a new customer life journey. Yeah, yeah. Customer that's going to be coming back. But the thing is, really, so, probably pay. You pay the margin, the dealer's markup when you buy it, but you probably get the markup when you go to sell it to yes. the, the dealer. So if you trade that back in with the dealer, you'll you know have lost Some the same amount as anyone who's bought it privately will do yeah. selling it privately. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Plus, just exactly as Katie said, that we buy our cars from dealers. You buy our car from a, you know a franchise dealer because you know you'll get a level of service, and you'll get that level of service mm-hmm. from having bought it there. But um, for us, for a toe in the water, the right thing to do was to. You know, buy it privately. Don't take a, a massive financial risk. Um, it's still a significant financial risk. The good thing about these vans is that, you know, if it doesn't work out for us, if it's not the thing for us, they do retain their value really well. So, you would hope, having bought it privately, if we went to sell it privately, you wouldn't lose a fortune, or it wouldn't uh, make much of a difference. But and why did you want one? Or well, I'll I'll start off in that probably from the age of. Um, we started off as a family when I was young. We went in holidays and tents. And then when I was about five or six, we were in Gatehouse of Fleet, Auckland Larry Holiday Park. <laughs> <coughs> to, yeah, very specific. The Fleecing Gallery. Yep, and I remember it 
vividly and that we went and it was the May um, bank holiday and we had a family tent at this time and our, our holidays were spent in a family tent in places like Keswick in the Lake District looking for you know patches of blue sky to win prizes because it was always miserable and there was I'm a big family, you know, big family was uh, six of us plus my mum and dad, seven of us plus my mum and dad um, and that was what holidays were so we were knocking the lady holiday park and it was really really windy my dad was like myself and you know, he was always a good laugh but he could get quite pompous at times and if anyone laughed at him in his pompous moments he would lose the plot and what happened is he was trying to put the tent together and my mum was sitting in the passenger seat of the car watching him and we were all laughing at my dad as he was trying to put the tent together so he stormed off in a huff and we thought that was it, he was just away for a walk and he came back and he had hired a static caravan for the weekend which was like <laughs> <coughs> luxury so the tent was subsequently packed back, it was too windy to put the tent up so the tent was subsequently packed up and put back in about the car and we went in a static caravan and the difference between camping in a family sized tent and a static caravan where you've got like a toilet and a shower and a TV and beds and everything was seats. like uh, yeah exactly, seats as opposed to you know where an evening's entertainment and a tent is you know sitting around watching the potatoes boil mm -hmm. compared to you know sitting down watching the TV and having a living room and just it was just absolutely amazing so that was probably when I was about I don't know, six or seven years old so if you um, if you fast forwarded to last year when yep. where were you and I when you mentioned the bongos it was when we were up I in the we west in, apple cross well I think it was Meekle Bin was the first place we discussed it was bongos I think it was Meekle Bin well my memory was you remind me of the Meekle Bin discussion yep. but when we were in apple cross yeah and a couple of vans came in and you said that's right they're Bongos was that I after think, I think that was a secondary conversation. Right. I think when we had climbed Meekle Bind, which for those who don't know is um, a tortuous hill <laughs> uh, in the west coast of Scotland, which was only tortuous because both myself and Kate were ridiculously unfit. Should have been called a pimple. Um, it, indeed, it was a pretty much a pimple. Um, but we talked about it that day, and then when we went to Apple Cross, which is a, a, a whole other long story, Skid's first outing and. Um, yeah, there was a couple, there was a tour at Grandia, which is similar in the Mazda Bongo, which is similar in that, I remember saying, there's a bongo, that's what it is, that's what it looks like. And that was you, you know, um, checkbook out. And one, of those, one of those, at least one of them was a higher bongo, wasn't it? They'd hired yeah, it. the tour at Grandia, we, right. we spoke to a woman, a man, a husband and a wife, and some, some massive dog, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Um, and they had hired it. And that was always, uh, I always started with a cracking new business idea, because you could buy a Mazda Bongo from, you know, six, seven grand. Um, for something pretty basic, and rent it out for you know peak summer six seven hundred quid a week. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a, a pretty good business. So I think that's probably the first thing. Um, that was always you know if I get made redundant from my job, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy five or six of these and um, rent them out. Uh, and I think that was the first conversation we had, which I'm fairly sure was up Meekle Bin in between but massive the, lungfuls of oxygen. But the reason I ask is you were obviously into the whole camper van thing before I was. I'd been looking at. Volkswagen camper, when I say looking at, you know, admiring Volkswagen camper vans since I was 17 or 18, when you could buy them for 2,000 quid because people just wanted rid of them long before they were fashionable. So yep. they're really fashionable now, the VW campers and combis, um, such that, you know, a, you know a 50, anything that runs will cost you 15,000 quid and anything that's restored and looks nice will cost you 25,000 quid. Mm -hmm. When I was young, it, it would have been, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 pounds, because people just wanted rid, because they were just cheap vans at the time, people didn't have any cash eh? But now they get more and more fashionable. And the thing is, it, it's like, motorhomes, I, I think, as well as camper vans, I think, you know, all these things that have become very hipster, like bacon and knitting, and all these kind of 
Should you say baking? Yeah, sorry, I thought you said baking. Not bacon. Did that become hipster? I missed that. All all these things, all all these kind of faintly twee pastimes have become kind of fashionable, like baking and... Camping. Banking and camping. And I'm fairly sure Motorhomes is next to go. I think we bought it the right time. I think it's about to go... I think it's about to go trendy. It's all these people are podcasting about it. Exactly. driving the market. I think this is going to become, you know, this uh, (laughs) podcast will be an absolute hipster favourite. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I think motorhomes is is going to be where it's at. And accessorising. So, exactly, and accessorising. Like Katie's just about to do it. a motorhome for her is just a something else to furnish. A canvas. Exactly, a blank canvas. Well, it absolutely is. I I was telling um, some of my friends the other day that we'd bought one, and my my closest friend Anna fell about laughing and said, you know. Did you run out of accessories to buy for, for hill walking? She says, you know, you got the boots, you then had to get the jacket, then you had to get a special upgraded jacket, and now you've now you've bought the, the kettle and the kitchen to have the cup of tea in afterwards. But um, my other friend said, what happened? Did you just run out of things to buy? I'm assuming this is a project to accessorise. So will it be Kath Kidston? Will it be Orla Kiley? You know, Emma Bridgewater? What, what, kind, of, what kind of motorhome are you going to have? So I'm going to shock them all and have... Unlike Kevin, who's matching crockery and scatter cushions and everything all the same colours, I think I might just go for a much more I think podca- random and retro-looking mine. I think podcast podcast listeners deserve to know that far from the kind of hippie, carefree uh, attitude that, that Kevin brings to his podcast, you know, colour coordination patently is very important too. <laughs> One of the things that when you podcast is you have full control over the editing. Yeah, so. indeed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this will you'll, never be the light of You'll edit out the Kevin who's yep. matching cushions. In that section it'll be I'm quite bohemian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kevin the hipster that knows that bacon's back in fashion. <laughs> exactly, yep. And he's been out and bought matching yeah. scatter cushions. Ironically, yeah. we don't even have bacon in the van. We've got turkey rashers because they're rashers, less yeah, fat yeah. in them than bacon. <laughs> but what is that? Is that as a short answer to a question that you asked about 15 minutes ago, that motorhome is a culmination of probably... Many years. 20 years. Yeah. So I, I, it's difficult to describe. You now, you get your notions, and then next thing you know, Kevin's got a camper van, or he's got a dog, or he's got a motorbike, or he's got a telescope, or he's got... This has been 20 years of me. I've been desperate for... And what, now, I would love a caravan, but Katie thinks caravan's for her next big birthday, which is in 10 years' time. Um but motorhome still has there's a tiny bit of motorhomes it's relatively fashionable even if it is quite kind of old fashioned I think uh, for me um, twee-ish you've been talking about camper vans for a long long time and you know I buy things with camper van pictures on them and take the mic a little bit a few years ago you talked about buying Volkswagen camper vans and renting them out and doing stuff like that as a business and there was always a question as everybody who knows me would ask which was would Katie go in one and I would just smile and say, probably not. I'd find it claustrophobic or it'd be awful or, you know, I wouldn't do it. And then when you had the, the bongo and we borrowed it, it was great fun. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great laugh. It was, you know, the open road. You could go anywhere. I went to Sky and, I, you know, I'm ashamed to say it took me 35 years or something before I even went to Sky. I've never been there before. 39 years Yeah, maybe. possibly 39. <laughs> just just last week it was. So, um, yeah, I went to Sky um, and it was all great. And, and once you've done that and then you realise that you're not, 25 and you're 39 or whatever um, a little step up in luxury and once you then got your motor home it was like it ticked the box of Dermot wanting a caravan yeah. um, and of me thinking that I could do the whole camper thing so but that, that ability to go anywhere um, is what it's about so my parents had a, a lovely static caravan in Dunkeld and a great site and I loved going there um, but that ability to 
go anywhere. And the notion for me, which I didn't think it would be, but the thought of wild camping for me is a big, a big thing. I thought I'd be scared of the dark, you know, but for me a lot of it's about wild camping and not being on sites with other people I think will be great. I'm looking forward to that. We should, we should mention that we're, uh, when we're talking about motorhomes, we're definitely at the entry level, aren't we, in terms of cost? We're not talking oh, yeah. five grand and things, we're talking buying vans that are 15, 12 years old or whatever. Yep, well, ours are 16 years old, it's as old as our marriage. Yeah. We're still having some life in it. Yeah. A bit battered and bruised, but still going yeah, strong. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> A bit shabby, a bit tired. A bit old-fashioned. Yep. <laughs> I'm looking for pastures new. <laughs> I'm planning on trading it in soon, to be honest. <laughs> the, the market's really kind of split and that, you know, anything cheaper than what we paid for ours gets you into converted van territory or something that's van-shaped that someone's put a bed in or various bits and bobs of facilities, so there's almost a bit of compromise. For anything that's in reasonable condition, of reasonable age, that is a proper motorhome, you're probably getting into the double figures of thousands of pounds. Yeah. Um, and then you get it, yours, yours is obviously three or four years newer than ours, and there's a marked difference in, in terms of the fit and finish. And, and then beyond yours, you get into just ridiculous territory in terms of beyond £20,000 you're still potentially in a, a, a 10 year old van. The big step up for me is in terms of functionality is going from the bongo yeah. to yeah. Uh, one of these older swift motorhomes is the, the space, the headroom, yep. The you're not having to pack and unpack continuously to move around, yes. yeah. you've actually got a living space which is the equivalent of a caravan. Yeah. yeah. The, bong the bongo is fantastic as you know, you know I've, I've always liked them since I've seen they're available but they're suitable for one person who's willing to make compromises. They're, you know, they're yeah. no great for two people, even just in terms of bed size and standing up and moving about. Plus, you know, essentially in seating terms, you really have a two-seated couch where you're both facing the same direction, uh, and a kind of compromise seat, which is the the passenger seat tilted backwards. So, it's a great idea for one person or two people who are quite happy, uh, almost sitting on top of each other constantly. But it's the difference with this is is marked. It's a great step up from camping in a tent, though. So huge, you know, everything's yeah. got its, its uses. So yep. I thought it was great fun. It was a great adventure. I'm yep. just a bit used to home comforts and less adventurous than most people. So for me, it was uh, yep. moving up. The thing I like about this as well is the the thought of putting your your bikes on the back of the motorhome. And yep. when you get there, it's another excuse to. I'm hoping that I continue to do hill walking, and you know, if I could do a bit of cycling, I have a bike, I've been out in it twice you know, so if I can uh, get into doing that, it'd be good Well hill walking for us was another one of it's a Kevin hobby which we'll get to just about the time Kevin's going to start to get bored with it so we started in around this time last year accompanying yeah, Kevin and year, yeah. his friend Paul up to uh, what now is an absolutely tiny hill <laughs> um, just behind Stirling called Demayet, which is spelled Dumyet, which is probably how I'd been saying it for the duration of my life. <laughs> and we walked up that, and I think it's about 254 metres from bottom to top in, in height terms, in relative height terms. Um, and myself and Katie, who were ridiculously unfit, had to stop three or four times, and it was just an absolute trauma. And we're so proud of ourselves that we'd climbed this tiny hill and that really was the start of it, and I think... Within six months we're climbing Monroe, so that's it. Yep. 
Oh, I say Munro's. People who do Munro's will know we were climbing what they call easy Munro's. Yeah. Um, I'm yet to find one that is indeed easy. So, mm-hmm. I, in relative terms, they might be able to call them easy, but I've not found Munro yet that's easy. No. But I'm hoping now that um, when the ste- when the season kicks in, obviously we've had a period of a lot of snow and the snow line's been quite low. So now that we've got the motor home and, and hopefully the weather starts to pick up into May or the end of April into May, then then we'll be able to go places and you know have our cup of tea in the van afterwards. Well, the real joy. joy and delight is that you know getting back into your car when you come down from a big hill and driving home is fantastic. But the thought of coming down off a hill and being able to sit on a nice couch and have a cup of tea before you even leave the hill is is absolutely so. Not just as it's somewhere to go and spend your weekends, but even somewhere to take to a place for a hill walk because it gives you a level of facilities when you get back. If you go camping, then there's a there's a lot of compromise in terms of comfort, isn't there? But it's all yeah. part of the adventure. But these yeah. motorhomes are just like home in the sense that you've got everything that you yeah. need, and you've got enough comfort to sit yeah. down and enjoy a meal, and you get your fridge and your yeah. hot water and your cooker and your telly if you want it. You've got everything that yeah that you need. But that whole concept of um, you know, it's like it's when you look at static caravans. You've got a couch, you've got a living room, you've got a dining room, you've got a bathroom, you've got bedrooms, you've got a kitchen, you've got everything which you've got in your house. You can drive it but around. But just in a really, really clever kind of package like this, where you know one thing becomes something else when things are dual purpose, and that whole kind of concept. I think when you look at motorhome design, is really, really clever. You see, when you were into the or your family were into the caravans. Yep. That's one of the things that I'm trying to work out is the. The difference in terms of the, I mean, very general here, but the difference between people that have caravans and people that have motorhomes. Yeah. Because when I thought about it, a caravan never appealed to me. But I can see it's obviously pros and cons. There's a probably yeah. there's a, a cost or a price escalator as well in both. But there are you think it's different people that are in caravans versus motorhomes, or yeah, probably. I mean, what I would say is my dad was never the um, we were never a caravaner in terms of he wouldn't be reading caravaning magazines. It was a means to an end. It was a means mm-hmm. to because we had a tent and it was a step up from a tent, exactly the same as you. It was a step forward in luxury and meant you had your own facilities and, and, and things. Um, I, I think I could only be stereotypical and say that caravans for me is a bit less. Motorhome still has an air of I don't know at times a bit of bohemian kind of. We're going to travel. I, I, I don't imagine it's as different as you might like to think it is, because people have still got their own you know facilities and set up for themselves and. But the same type of people, I don't really know. For me, the attraction for a caravan is is that, I mean, there's a logistical. If you take your car in a caravan, you can dump your caravan in the site, and then you've got your car, mm-hmm. and you can drive to wherever that, is round about. That's for me the obvious thing is you can park up and then drive off. Yeah. And people with motorhomes end up with start off with bicycles. Yeah. Is the answer, and then they have scooters. They might yeah. even have motorbikes, and then they tow a car. Yeah, you can see some, some of them point, cars so on the bike. can yeah. overcome that. But I was in a well camping spot a few months ago and somebody pulled up a few hundred yards further up on the lock side in a caravan, mm. car and caravan, and for two hours they sat with their dipped beam on in the car in a completely, you know, dark sky part yeah. of Scotland, which must have been, I was thinking it was a bit the heater in the car maybe, yeah. but there was absolutely no reason to have their lights on. Mm. And they only put the lights off to go to bed in the caravan. I kept their dipped lights on for two hours with the engine running. Because they were scared of the dark, do you think? I don't know. And I thought, if you were going wild camping, if you have a caravan, I don't know if you can put the the feet down and leave it on the hookup on the tow bar. Yeah, yeah. 
you have to unhitch it or whatever, but I wondered what the practicalities were of while camping in a caravan yep. versus a motorhome where you can you can just it's shut the blinds it's, and it's almost exactly the same in that your electrical supply you will have a leisure battery and you can also take a hook up from the car. Um and you crack the feet down, you can keep it on the, the tow bar. Um and it's just exactly the same, exactly the same concept. It's just, it, I think as you said in one of your earlier podcasts, it becomes a, a bigger target that's easier to spot. And I think police forces will be looking at for caravans and laybys overnight. If you're in a bongo specifically, you can tuck it away in a corner of a car park and it was dark and people wouldn't see it. But I think the concept is the same. I don't know how likely, I don't know whether the type of people in a caravan are less likely to well camp than to motorhome. I, I really don't know. Do you think perhaps the, the duck? the dipped lights thing was the issue the same you have in my car so modern day cars have got always on headlights Maybe. so if you've got the ignition on your lights are on and there's I no way to I put them off it yeah, so my car's got always on lights no matter it was, annoying, it was annoying me because I was trying to do um, star trail photography yeah, yeah. they had lights on I had yeah. to face the other way because I had these yeah. headlights up the road well, some caravans it's even, possible that, even caravans now don't have leisure batteries at all yeah. So they're only electrical supplies either via hookup or via the car. Yeah, and if their ignition was well on, the lights would yeah, be on. Yeah, that might well have been the reason. But I know you would like us to say that caravanners and motorhomers are much more bohemian and happy. And, I don't know. I, don't, I um, genuinely don't know. But my, I'd say, my, in my experience, my dad wasn't a you know a, a caravan, caravanner in terms of you know buying the magazines, and it was a means to an end for him. And what was interesting for me, I guess, not not having a clue about either sector or who buys them, um, the guy who we bought ours from didn't like it because he had previously had a caravan he'd bought a motorhome didn't like it his wife didn't like it he was going back to caravan and then today when we were on this site and the, the neighbour showed up and we were telling him about the dolphins and we were talking about um, caravans and motorhomes he said oh don't talk to me about motorhomes and he's a downer on them as well so I, I don't know whether you just it's just a is, preference I don't know whether you like motorhomes or you like caravans I don't is there know. an obvious thing that if you've got a, a motorhome you're probably going to have a car as well or work or whatever yeah. you do, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're talking two MOTs, two tax, road tax, two yeah. insurances. Is there a that. cost thing that a caravan presumably you could insure the value, the contents, but that's not a statutory thing, is it? I don't so know. people with a caravan, you could pick up a, you can buy caravans yeah. for the cost of a motorhome, but you could yeah. buy a, a relatively inexpensive caravan and just use it, you know. Yeah. You could be caravaned for, in a dry sensible caravan by sensible I mean you know with pretty decent facilities for 1500 quid mm-hmm. the, the main at the lower end of the market the main expense will be fit a tow bar in your car yeah which is a four figure sum so you're probably a thousand quid to fit a tow bar in your car yeah. once you've got that you can be caravanning for you know pennies almost maybe um, that's what it is so and I don't know it, for me the, the first thing I, I considered was was caravanning but Katie had a real thing about Caravan has been a bit less. I don't know what the word to use is, but a bit more old-fashioned, just, a bit older, no, a bit I, less flexible. I'm I not even sure it's that. I just don't want to tow a caravan. Yeah, and it, it, for for me as well, you know, driving a motorhome, it's a big old slow bus or motorhome, but it's actually quite good fun to drive because it is like driving a big old bus. I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this will have the answers or their views because oh, they absolutely. were we'll motorhoming for years, yeah. or they might have mm-hmm. gone through camper vans to or yep. caravans or. Maybe they've tried all of them. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it's just uh, intriguing for me as to what the difference is because, I mean, I'm already beginning to get a little bit uh, frustrated with the whole, you know, caravan site thing. Yeah. 
it's not really the cost, it's that sort of regimented. We've been joking about the mm-hmm. rules and we're beginning to work out why the rules are there. There's some obvious, sensible yeah. reasons why some of them are necessary. But I, I went to Wild Camp primarily. Yeah. And I don't think towing a caravan would give me that sense of. No, I think it's, it, yeah, yeah. it's a much more, it's a much less, it seems like much less flexible arrangement. In terms of motorhome, you're, you seem like kind of master of your own destiny. Wherever I stop, all I need to do is. The thing for me that I think is just fantastic is I can stand up from the driver's seat and turn around and <coughs> walk through into the cabin, and you've got everything. You've got your you know, kitchen and lounges and all sorts. So, I think it's done on me. If you were up in the northwest, well, anywhere, but up in the northwest coast, this uh, benefit of having a caravan on a site where you can set your caravan up, get in the car, and go touring for the day, go to visit attractions, yeah. go wherever, go yeah. shopping yeah. without any great problem. The reverse is true. If you're up in the northwest coast while camping for a caravan and you then want to go 30 miles to a village or a town and you've left your caravan line... Yeah, you take it with you. Yeah. ...and the heather, yeah. 50 yards up a glen or, you know, yeah. two miles up a glen, you're thinking, you know, yeah. it's a bit vulnerable lying up there on its own. I think you've probably you're taking it with you if you're on a yeah. motorhome. You've probably got a wind. clear concept that you could spend, you know, a couple of weeks wild camping by, you know... Get on a camping one night in a lay-by, next day you're driving somewhere else and stopping and getting yeah. food and moving on. Caravans would be very much, I think, a kind of um, just exactly as you say. Maybe do it one night, have to move on, but you've always got it behind you. You can't go and leave it. You're yeah. always trailing a caravan. And much as a motorhome's a big old piece of kit to drive, it's a bit, it's much more um, easy to drive that than it is a. Just one thing you've got trailer. to worry about. Yeah, exactly. There's something I noticed today as well when caravans arrived on site and. The amount of time they spent setting them up yep. fascinated me. So well, the whole the, regime, yeah. and I know obviously you've got an unpack. You know, if you if you're driving a motorhome, you have things packed away and you unpack them and set them up. But the watching them set up, you know, get the water, get the wastewater, put the put it on the blocks, get the level right, you know, um, put out their mats, put out. There was a whole regime, and then the the bit that really intrigued me was the guy with the remote control caravan. I've never seen that before. It was yeah. fantastic, and watching him remote control in his caravan. Um, like a toy into space and then he had a, a remote control for a satellite dish and and then you know there was a whole lot of, of set up I guess you do that because you're going to a site and you know you're staying for X amount of time I think with a with a motorhome you know you take it anywhere and it's it, it might just be two different ways of looking at you know two different types of travel and two different types of holiday. When I was in France last year, uh, last year the, the Dutch family that we got friendly with had uh, uh, one of these much bigger caravans, mm-hmm. and he had that remote control mm. thing, and he was saying, "Well, but basically, him and his wife couldn't move the caravan easily, yeah. so he had it fitted just so he could get the caravan moved around and get it hitched onto his car." Yeah. But I suppose these smaller vans, like the one we looked at, I mean, you could probably yeah. do that as a one-person or two-person move. It wasn't a yeah. I'm fairly sure it was the degree of show offing about what, he, what he was doing because he, he moved it about thirty yards. For me, just, though, it's a uh, if you're able to do it, if the technology yeah. exists, I would want it. So if I had one, I would absolutely want that remote control, regardless yeah. of the size of it. And I'd want the remote control satellite dish. And if it can do it, I'd have it. I was if I was they, intrigued watching it. It was brilliant. If they do a Jack Russell version, I could <laughs> yes. skid out to the toilet and back with yeah, it and leave the van. I'm looking at Skiddy's all curled up in front of the gas fire there, sound asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got the sound of the rain now. Yeah, well, just as discussed earlier on, whether that makes a cut or it doesn't, uh, rain in a, in a caravan or motorhome is a really, really comforting sound. You very, even if you hear it against your windows at night when you're sleeping, it's a fantastic sound. And here we are with rain 
part of Nona's and I'm not sure it's a fantastic a sound. I think it's a it's a sentimental sound because you'll have spent so many years camping in Scotland where it's been raining. Yep. Uh, I don't actually think it's comforting at all. I just think, oh no, it's raining. It um, depends when you wake up in the morning <laughs> if your van's dry inside. Yeah. Yes. Well, we'll soon find out. Yet. This is the first time we'll yeah. soon find out. In recent experience, in April last year, when myself and Kevin were away camping in tents in April, in tents, in minus four degrees temperatures, um, rain during the night was not attractive no. uh, entirely not attractive um, it was absolutely um, dismal so in terms of tents I've um, only tried it twice and failed both times well the progression first kept was that last year? was that only last year we went camping and from camping to Bongo to this big swift coach built motorhome in this period of a year for those that don't know me Kevin went camping last year with Skid who was just I think probably so. 10, 12 weeks old at the time. See, when I was on, joined one of these forums, the uh, quite a big uh, online motorhome forum, and it had a questionnaire as part of the registration. Yeah. And it said, was your, we were talking about A-class vans, yeah. it had a categories, and at one point said coach built and panel, yep. panel van or panel built. Or, yep. uh-huh. And I ticked panel. Because I didn't know what... He's coach built. Right. See, I didn't know the... Do you want me to run, th- run through Well, it? I thought coach built was a, didn't have a, a van front on it. It was a completely... Like no, one I of think... Timer yep. things. So I thought mine's is a van with a thing on the back. Well, the funny thing is we bought... Um, myself and Katie bought... Well, I bought Practical Motorhome magazine <laughs> like this month. I like yeah, I did. <laughs> you I did. got me in there as if I, as if I the... even knew that Practical Motorhome existed. I did try to share the blame. Although there, I must admit I have read it. <laughs> yeah, I bought Practical Motorhome magazine, which is a kind of, you know, just like a motor magazine, but for motorhomes. Um, and I was stunned to see it had a, a kind of page full of the layouts of caravans, uh, motorhomes, sorry. And there must have been, I don't know, 40 different layouts. So, in basic terms, a panel van is something that looks like a normal van, maybe with a high roof, but which has a converted van. Coach built is something like this, which effectively is a caravan, which is stuck on the back of a cab. Right. So an Alco cab. Um, so you'll have a cab, we both, yeah. myself and you, have got a Fiat Ducato cab, which has got an Alco chassis, which runs from front to back, which is a box metal chassis, and Swift stick their coach built right. caravan, if you like, on top of it. Uh, so all together, and there we go. A-class is when the, the the manufacturer will get an engine, wheels and a chassis and put what looks like a bus, so flat-fronted, flat-backed. Um, and A-class is the kind of, they reckon, the most flexible and attractive option to have. Um, but yeah. So we have coach built, which is where the cab that looks like a normal van, it looks like a looking van in profile, yeah. but where the, the the kind of last three-quarters of it is is bespoke to Swift. So the, the platform that both of us are on, Fiat Ducato, with Peugeot Boxster, is, I think, um, they reckon 80 to 85% of coach-built motorhomes are on this platform. It's the most popular, it's the most flexible, um, they reckon. Because the chassis, as we looked at, there's one on site today, a Fiat Ducato, which is probably, I think, an extra, we reckon, an extra four feet beyond ours, mm-hmm. and looks absolutely massive. So it's a really flexible yeah. chassis, that's the kind of deal with it. Um, so there you go. That's that's my motorhome knowledge. That's my practical. Yeah, I never home. thought about that when I looked at the big van. But it's obviously yeah. this. It's basically the same van, but the coach built. Yeah, I mean the, the yeah. front yeah. bit. The, the front bit's identical. Yeah. Um, a company called Alco make the, the chassis, and 
I don't want to bore you with detail here. It's practical. Already no, already no, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say sorry. <laughs> so I'll come do this. This, this galvanised aluminium chassis and Did new it? torsion <laughs> bars. So they stiffen up the whole chassis. Right. And um, so they can obviously make them that length or our length. Yours obviously significantly shorter than mine. Uh, um, yeah, well, it's significant. Um, and the, the one across there is you know, four feet bigger than, than ours, which is massive. So the bit, though, when I did read that um, Motorhome magazine, the layout, I didn't know you could get so many different layouts. And, and even today, you know, we've seen four vans on site and, you know, like triple bunk beds and extra foot yeah. and, you know, a dinette or a couch or, you could, you know, depending on what you want. And I think the yeah. best advice that we did by accident, but once you read, you know, when you want to buy one, go to somewhere that sells them, go to a dealer that's got lots of them and just climb in and out them and climb yeah. into the beds and climb up on them and just see, you know, would, would this work for me? And once you work out your your layout and what you actually want, then you work out your budget and you yeah. can, you know, there isn't anything you can't buy. You can buy it from entry level old like ours right up to, you know, however you want to invest in it. And I saw some, you know, real luxury, luxury yeah. versions. And I think it's like everything else. Once you get the bug, you end up, you know, upgrading as you go along. The thing for us is, you know, when Kevin bought his, and when we were discussing hours with Kevin, he was talking about the, the dinette, you know, having the, the seating area that has got a dining table in the middle. Mm. And it was really important because you do a lot of your, sitting here around it today with your mixing desk and microphones and, and everything else. Whereas for us it was less of a, um, a driver. So I think the key thing is to understand exactly how you would use it as opposed to, you know, how much you want to spend on it or what you want to, how, how do you like to sit in an evening? Do you like to sit across from each other and, you know, once you finish dinner, sit at a dining table or you want to sit and relax at a couch or whatever that is. Um, but the flexibility of these things is pretty amazing because you've got both. You can sit on a couch, you can sit on a dining chair, we can do the same. So, but it's to think about how you would use it. So now you've got the van, what, what are you going to do? Assuming that it's uh, wind and watertight tonight and you get it serviced and a few things sorted every weekend or... Um. Most weekends, or? I'd like to think that we'll do it most weekends, but uh, I definitely want to go down to France in July. I've read a lot about France in terms of how they treat motorhomes and how they're really set up for them and the facilities they have, and it seems to be the place to take them, so um, I quite fancy doing that. I mean, if we lived in the south of England, we'd be going to France uh -huh. all the time. Yeah, we would, yeah. It's, yeah. it's uh, six, seven, eight... 10 hours to Dover, <laughs> 15 <laughs> an hour certainly, it's, it's, the, it's the hours it takes you to get to Dover, but I think you just need to factor in a day going, a day coming back, or a, a night, that you're going to stay somewhere halfway, and that's part of your journey, and that's just how it is, and enjoy it as much as you can, but um, it's Brendan, yourself and Katie's brothers, 50th in July, uh, sorry, 40th, <laughs> um, in July, and I think it'd be good to be in France to be part of that. I think we would have gone there with flights and everything, but going to motorhome just adds just another reason to go. So um, I was really jealous a couple of years ago when you went round France and the Jeep and camping. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I know you've been through lots of Europe and the Bongo. So just a great opportunity for us. And I, I've got to say, I have to say, France was one of the big drivers for getting it. As uh, you know, knowing that we've driven in France a couple of years ago, how easy it is to drive in the back roads and how. Um, quiet it is and what beautiful uh, surroundings there are. Yeah. Plus how welcome they are to motorhomes as well. And the reality of when you're in France, particularly in good weather, but further south you go, is that you live outside the van. Yep. 
you really only get into the van to get stuff for to go to bed or yeah. you know get something out the fridge. But you're yeah. you're sitting outside. Usually try to find some shade, but you're sitting out in yeah. the sun. You've yeah. got your chairs and your table and ironic this weekend is we've got your fire on, we've got our heater on across another van, hoping to get some heat for when we go to bed. And I'm guessing when we go to France in July it'll be quite the reverse. We'll be looking for air conditioning. You know, aircon and, and some way of getting some ventilation through the van in the, at I, night. I also fancy the notion of going to Scandinavia. Um I don't know when, but I fancy doing that. I've got a notion that I'd like to be in Scandinavia in August, September and see almost 24 hour daylight but uh, I don't know if we'll do that this year but something I've always fancied doing. Time consuming to get there and it's yeah. also yeah. very costly because there's no direct ferry services from Scotland yeah. and even when there was that ferry service from Rosyth that went to yeah. uh, Zeebrugger was it in Belgium? Yeah. I mean that's not Scandinavia, it's uh, no. heading that way. <laughs> 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 I was but thinking that. <laughs> but it was a twenty. I'm sure it was a twenty plus hour crossing, and you're talking something like eight hundred pounds. That's practically four figures to go. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Yeah, I wouldn't do that then. So uh, you would need you would need to take a month or more. Yeah. Somewhere else, I'd love to go. But again, it's always been weather dependent, and it's also very expensive to fly to. I'd like to go to Shetland. I know it's not Scandinavia, nor is it France, but I'd like to go to Shetland. We get ancestors from Shetland, and I'd like to go up and see it. Well, you were asking me earlier on about my five or my favourite places in Scotland and mm. when I gave up work I was conscious that through work I'd travelled all over Scotland in the car and I'd lived in the Highlands for 10 years so I knew some of the nicer areas up there and then I got my motorcycle licence and I went round Scotland on my motorbike and it's one of those things that you if you see Scotland as a group of islands rather than mainland Scotland mm -hmm. you suddenly mm -hmm. realise how little of Scotland you really know. I know you know I think I was saying one of the earlier episodes, whatever, there's a there's a, a, a thousand islands, depending on what you classify as an island around Scotland, and 100 of them are inhabited. And for me, my huge blind spot is I've never been to Orkney or Shetland. Yeah. And yeah. I was supposed to be going in, was it last year? It was a sort of semi-plan to around a, uh, somebody else to go to Orkney, and it never happened. But I'm determined I've got to get to Orkney and Shetland because meet so many people who've been. Yeah. Yeah. And Orkney was just rated recently in TripAdvisor. Yeah. It's one of the top five or something destinations in the world or something. I think the, yeah. the main attraction for me is that apart from the friendliness and everything else, they are markedly different culturally from mainland Scotland. So I think a lot of the islands that you go to I mean as you know me and Katie went to Sky last year and you could have been just in another kind of corner of Scotland that was fairly fairly similar. I don't know whether connected with the bridges made a difference, but it was just like being in, you know, in a part of the Highlands in Scotland. I think Orkney and Shetland, Shetland in particular, is markedly culturally different from the rest of Scotland, and that it's such a it's practically Scandinavian, both in terms of the yeah. the tone of the language and the look of the place and everything well, else. Maybe if I can't afford to go to Scandinavia, then I'll just go to Shetland. Maybe the way to do it. Um, I would like to go though um, at the right time of year. I'd like to see a, a lot of daylight. We've been to Iceland once and. Um, obviously we didn't go in a motorhome but one of the things I liked was that sense of light I hate the darkness of Scotland and I'd love to go and see that 24 hour daylight almost so yeah. perhaps we'll go to Shetland in a motorhome I went to Iceland in uh, the middle of winter and I was in a, a bar with some uh, Icelandic folk and we were all talking about seasonal affect disorder and the level of uh, depression in yeah. Reykjavik because yeah. of the lack of Daylight. Yeah. Yeah, no for so long. 
but then they get, obviously get the huge amount of daylight all at one time. Yeah. But it would be great to... In fact, even when you live in the Highlands, if you get up to the North Coast, you're talking... Yeah. It, it doesn't actually get dark. You can People used to say on the North Coast or in the Highlands, you can read a book. Throughout yeah. the, you know, might not have the time to do it, but you could read a book right through the night. Yeah. I've um, never been that far north, so that's another thing I'd love to do. I'd love to go to the north of Scotland. I've never been up there. Well, I was really lucky. I think the, the highest I've been is like Dornock or something. I was really lucky last year in that when Skid was born, myself and Kevin took off round as high up in Scotland as it's for me as it was feasible to go. In fact, I couldn't believe you could drive that long and still actually be in Scotland. <laughs> <coughs> I figured you'd be somewhere halfway up Norway. We went up to Apple Cross and then further up to Loch Inver and various places that where Scotland becomes like the Scotland I have ne- never seen before. So you get you know the the green central Scotland, you end up to the Highlands, and then you get up to the, you know the far north and far west Highlands, which is just looks unbelievably and totally different. Well, the must do trip is the northwest corner, and you can do it. Yeah. I always do it anti-clockwise out of habit, but you need to go around the north coast from the Kyle of Tongue. Right round to where we were, but it's such me. a it's such a huge. Um, I mean, Apple Cross, <coughs> which is a bizarre place. When Kevin had skid, when skid was I think ten, twelve weeks old, when it was like the circus coming to town. When Kevin was skid, um, your know, kids were coming from far and wide to come and pet the dog, and it was the biggest thing that happened in Apple Cross for some years. I'm fairly <laughs> sure it made a local paper. The puppy arrived. Uh, the, when the puppy arrived with the the incomers. Um, and then we drove another three hours north, practically, at Loch Inver, which was a fairly reasonable-sized village. But, it wasn't three hours. Uh, well, it was, wasn't far away from three hours, being that you can go for about 20 minutes without needing a pee or skid. <laughs> needing a pee. <coughs> but it was a fairly substantial drive north um, into a part of Scotland. You know, a fairly substantial wee village and you know, lots of industry going on that I'd never heard of before. And a, a campsite called Clack Toll, which was... Um, like a Lynx golf course, it was fairly uh, impressive. We had an unbelievable beach, unbelievable images of the beach. Although we were so inured to it that we, I don't think we actually went down to the beach to look at the view. <laughs> when I was up in the north coast last year, I met a guy on a Triumph Tiger, and I was I was waiting for mine to arrive, and I was chatting to him in the lay-by, and he was taking photographs. It was just at Betty Hill, which is a yeah. no disrespect to Betty Hill, but he'd come up through, he come up that uh, northeast coast, gone to John O'Groats. Thurso, he'd come right along Betty Hill and he said, I've taken hundreds of photographs. I said, is it your first time up here? And he said, yeah, it's fantastic. So he just put your camera away. <laughs> see when you get to the Kyle of Tongue, huh. yep. I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. And you go around that northwest corner, right down into Loch Inver, right down to Illipool. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Compared yeah. to, I mean, Caithness is beautiful in a different way, but it's basically uh, peat. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a peat, peat bog, mm-hmm. relatively flat. It's only when you get to maybe Betty Hill and beyond that the scenery really starts to take off. And I speak to somebody else, who said, why do you always go uh, counterclockwise? Well, when I lived in Tain, it was the obvious way to go. Yeah. For me, it was to yeah. go on the north coast and, yeah. and then go right round and come back the other pool, Dingwall, and back up to Tain. But one day I'm going to just make the conscious effort to go up and go around clockwise and see yep. what the difference is because you get a radically different view if you go in the opposite direction. I'd love to go up there. I've never been that far yeah, north. Yeah, fantastic. So. so yeah, I'd like to go um, the northwest. I'd like to go to Shetland, um, but we'll go down to France in the summer, and um, 
see if we keep our motor home for a full season or if that's uh, just an adventure too far, who knows. So we'll yeah. invite you back onto the podcast and you can tell me your adventures. Well, Indeed, sure. check the website, I'm sure we'll be able to update the, the website and forum and tell you where we have been, if indeed it's anywhere. <laughs> and the good thing about buying your van now is presumably spring will arrive tomorrow or one day soon and then you'll have the whole... I thought that last weekend, I thought oh. tremendous, but it's just the right time, but as I, as I said, you know... It's a nice day today though, it's raining just today. now, but... Yeah, and just in case you're picking up anything from audio, I don't know if you can hear that, is Skid, who's currently sitting in my lap, He's snoring. snoring. I can hear <laughs> it, yeah. Stopped because you've stopped patting them. You can hear the wind and the rain. Yeah, no, just get this snoring on my lap. That's lovely. So, sleeping sound to the world. Okay, well, let's knock it in the head there. And yep. Thanks very much for the three and a half hour interview. I'll be amazed if you're going to edit that interview. <laughs> <laughs> this will no doubt make two minutes worth of time. And <clears throat> It'll take two minutes where it started in gin and ended in Darwin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is uh, the first episode of my new podcast, Middle Age Crisis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Middle Age Crisis with, a, yeah. with an extended version about chassis or motorhomes. <laughs> yeah. Alco chassis, it's the, it's the way forward. Uh, it used to be Alco Pops. <laughs> Right, okay. Overnight. <laughs>so thank you Katie and Dermot that was a fantastic weekend we had in Crail and thank you especially for taking the time to listen to such a long conversation and get in touch please get in touch with your own views your own experiences, your own insights any questions uh, with any comment please get in touch you can catch up with me on Twitter at Bonnie Tours you can find me on Facebook at Bonnie Tours or type into the search box at the top, uh, Passing Places Podcast, and join our open group. You can also look at my website, which is www.bonnytours.com, or search for Passing Places in your podcasting application. So I'll sign off for now. I'm off tomorrow for a weekend a little bit further up the East Coast this time. I'm going to be in Angus picking my daughter up tomorrow and we're heading over to Angus to again spend the weekend with Dermot and Katie and I can't remember the name of the campsite but it's just north of Montrose so next week's episode we'll have some content no doubt from Montrose but I also have some new plans for hill walking next week after our spectacular six five six mile walk last week we're hoping to top that next week by maybe climbing a proper hill or doing a bit better mileage so next week's episode will be out again Wednesday or Thursday so in the meantime stay safe and perhaps one day soon I'll catch up with you and meet with you on your travels around Scotland